This 29 year old made millions of dollars selling information in like the weirdest niches. We're talking roping, farming. Okay. And my favorite part, he actually was able to sell to a private equity firm, got acquired an entire weird niche information business. We're going to dive deep during this episode into exactly how he built these businesses, where he gets his traffic from, how he sets them up, what his price points are, what his average cart value is. We're going to get detailed. And then how did he actually sell it and where he recommends people find great niches. This all is happening right here today. Listen, make sure if you're looking at building your own information marketing business, learnexpert.com, L-U-R-N expert, E-X-P-E-R-T.com free course, free newsletter, and a full free community to help you build your entire business plan on how you can turn your expertise into a business. And of course, onicpodcast.com. And hey, click subscribe, hit like, come on, do all the fun things for me. Now, without further ado, I want to introduce you to Ricky Flo, someone who got up at a weird hour in Australia just to get up and help us out and do this interview. He was incredibly giving with a lot of his information. Uh, he's a young guy, 29 years old, and has already made millions upon millions of dollars selling information in niches that he has no interest in, knows nothing about, but there are these weird niches. And in this episode, he's going to reveal exactly how he did it. So let's watch. All right, Ricky, thank you for being here. Uh, now I had the, I had the pleasure of talking to you prior to us actually starting this podcast and I'm still, I'm still digesting it, how you've sold millions and millions of dollars worth of information products in some of the weirdest niches. They're so weird that I, I don't even know what they are. So I was trying to write them down as you were talking about it. Like there was like a roping, there was event, eventing, uh, has to do with horses and then farming. So I'm, I'm really intrigued. Okay. Because a lot of time I'm talking to people that sell information in the typical niches, right? Investing, make money, personal development. And here you've, you now, are you particularly interested in any of these niches? Like, are you a farmer? Do you do roping? Do you like horses or are you just, you're a marketer? So first of all, thanks for having me on the pod. Anik, yeah. it's awesome to be here. And, uh, I'm essentially a marketer. Um, and at first with roping, I didn't actually know anything about it. I was in the same boat as you. I had the opportunity come to me because some of my clients as when I was doing marketing consulting owned this domain roping.com, which I then found out was roping is a subset within the broader niche of rodeo. And then they were like, we got this domain. Like, are you interested in doing something here with us? And I looked up, I, I did the Google search. I was like, from, you know, scratch, like, what is this thing? Yeah. And then I kind of watched some YouTube videos and I was like, okay, this is how this rodeo sport works. And then I was like, well, if you own the domain roping.com, like I'm curious about this. And, and we explored the possibility of doing something. And then we did a deal and then we, we started from scratch. So I co-founded that. And then, you know, about six years later, we ended up selling it to a private equity company. <laughs> Amazing. All right. So everyone, we're going to dive deep into this. It's going to be a really fun episode where we're going to talk to Ricky and we're going to talk to him about what the heck is he doing in these weird niches to sell millions of dollars, right? In something like roping. I'd never even heard of the niche, like technically, right? I didn't know it was a niche. Uh, I think roping, but anyways, that's a side, side topic. But if you're able to make millions in that, imagine applying this to like even bigger niches. So we're going to get into his systems and what he does. Um, but um, I just want everyone to understand that the, the systems that he's using also led to two of their sites 
being acquired by a private equity company. So this is some pretty pretty amazing stuff. Ricky, before we dive in, real few minutes, man. What's your backstory? Like even I don't know you that well. We got introduced or someone recommended we talk. Um, you know, you look like a pretty young guy. So I'm, and you just told me before we got started, you're like, hey, I'm pretty nomadic right now. I'm kind of moving around. I've been I've been away from home for 22 months. So tell us a little bit about who you are. How did you fall into this world? And give us the story a little bit. Sure. So straight out of high school, I did like a, it was called a cadetship at KPMG, which is a big accounting company, like all over the world. And I had like, it was like an undergraduate thing. So I wasn't, I didn't, I didn't have a university degree yet, but I was kind of like getting my university degree whilst I was um, working there. And essentially I worked there for one year when I was 18 till 19 and then I'm 29 now. So the last 10 years I've been an entrepreneur. But what happened when I was at KPMG is one of the like nine other people in my cohort as like these undergraduate cadet people. Um, I became friends with him and we would go out for lunch like pretty much every day. And his phone kept like making a cha-ching sound like every 10 minutes it was cha-ching. And then he was just very mysterious and he didn't really create any context, but his, his phone kept doing that. And I, at one point I was like, Hey bro, like what's up with this sound? Like, and then he was like, Oh, I sell things on eBay that I import from China. And that was the first time in my whole life that the paradigm of reality where someone that's 18 years old makes money independent of a job, like entered my field of awareness. So then I was just instantly curious and I was like, you've got to tell me about this because this sounds amazing. Anyway, he kind of, he opened me up to that reality. Then I went down the rabbit hole of learning about it. Essentially, I was selling things on eBay and then Amazon. And then I was like, some months were good, some months were bad because I was essentially at the mercy of eBay and Amazon, like whatever traffic they want to send me, send me. So then I went down the rabbit hole of learning about paid traffic, copywriting, setting up my own site, etc. Then while I was doing that, I was joining all the Facebook groups where all the marketers were and things like that. Then I saw people asking questions about paid traffic and whatnot. This is maybe like seven years ago. And because I was doing this stuff and I'd taken some of my best products that were working on eBay and Amazon, like the one that I remember in particular was a golf rangefinder product, which product, which is essentially binoculars that show you how far you are away from your target. And I grew up playing golf and, and I love golf. So that was kind of cool to, to sell that product. Um, but then I was in these Facebook groups and I saw people asking questions and cause I was running ads and doing copy and all the things for my golf product, which I imported from China. I was like, yeah, here's the strategies I'm using, whatnot. Then people were adding me on Facebook markets, adding me, people were connecting with me. I, they were asking if I did consulting, which I didn't actually do at that time. I was just genuinely answering questions and being involved in the community. Then I realized like, okay, some of these people were willing to pay me to do marketing consulting. And then I was consulting in all these random niches. So, um, and then, and I was even consulting some of the, some of the guys that ended up becoming like industry leaders in their niche. So like in guitar instruction, in photography instruction, some of the guys I consulted seven years ago have now become like industry leaders in their space. 
And then I essentially got opportunities like one of my clients owned the domain roping.com. We started that together. Um, and then we, we acquired uh, an existing site uh, in the eventing industry, which is another horse education thing. And then we essentially rebranded it and rebuilt that business. And we sold that alongside roping.com about a year ago. And then I got involved in this farming site and we, again, rebranded it and kind of um, have built that into a seven-figure company. And that's freedomfarmers.com. How'd you, how'd you get into the farm? Like, I understand how you got into the roping and the other stuff because it was a client that, that you had a pre-existing relationship. Well, how about this farmer one? How did you come up with the farmer niche idea? Yeah. So there was, uh, and what I'm about to share is like one of the ways in which I recommend a marketer can get partnered as a owner on a niche site that's outside marketing is that, um, Funnily enough, my partners on roping.com and eventingtraining.com, they're also entrepreneurs and they've, they've been at this game a lot longer than I have. And they were friends with a dude that had a farming site and the farming site was doing like, okay. Um, but it wasn't, you know, we've essentially more than 10 X since that point, but, but they knew the, this guy and he was just running the site as a independent uh, content creator. He had a YouTube channel. He had a membership site. And so my partners on roping and eventing were like, yo, we know this dude in the farming niche. Do you want to like, see if we can do a deal with him? So then I essentially flew out to Canada, which is where this dude is. And, um, oh, we, we, we jumped on a, no, my partners teed up a like the guy to pay us a few thousand dollars to do like an audit of his business. So um, they kind of closed the deal and then they were like, all right, Ricky, you want to do the audit? <laughs> Cause these guys are more like high level strategists, my, my partners. Um, and they were like, you want to do the audit? So I did this audit. So I got access to the guys, you know, Stripe and his WordPress and his membership thing. And I looked behind the scenes, could see all of his analytics on YouTube and all the things and then essentially I was like, all right, here's all the things you're doing well. Here's all the things that you're either not doing well or you could, you could, could improve. Here's some just big picture strategy that I recommend. And I essentially created a vision for what he could do to take where he was to like 10X or more than that. And in the audit, even though we got paid for the audit, at the end of the audit, I was like, so yeah, that's pretty much what you can do. And it's all this like marketing stuff that, you know, this guy is a farming content creator and he doesn't know how to do all this stuff. So then he's like left with the information of like, here's what I can do to improve my business, but I'm not going to do this. So at the end of the video, I was like, so yeah, if you want help with this, we can like chat about it. And uh, we're happy, you know, me and my partners are happy to um, talk about a way we could do a deal. And then essentially I flew to Canada and we, that we all met up and we just built rapport to make sure we were kind of aligned in values and things like that. And then during that conversation, like we just started no business talk. It's just like, we're just chatting, having a good time, seeing if we vibe together. We did. And then towards like the end of the, the night, he was like, so yeah, I like you guys. Like, what would this look like? And essentially the deal that we proposed was like, okay, you're making X amount of money right now. If we do a deal, 
the X amount that you're making right now, that would become your salary. And then essentially we would be 50-50 partners moving forward. So it was like your salary is X, just what you're making, what you made last year, that's your salary or the last 12 months, that's your salary. It gets paid monthly. And then essentially we would be um, 50-50 partners where you would earn 50. And then me with my two partners, we did a deal where I earned 30% and each of them would earn 10%. So it was 50, 10, 10, 30. And the, the original dude had his salary of what he was making. And that essentially just de-risked the situation completely. Cause it's like, what you were making, you're going to keep making that. And it's going to be like a salary, even if some months, you know, we, we don't, cause we were, we were knowing like, we're going to double or triple this business very quickly. And and then essentially you get what you were getting plus 50% of the upside from here. And then one other just small detail is that fast forward about two years later, the business was a lot bigger and we wanted to bring on a couple other partners and we wanted to like expand and things like that. And we kind of then again, renegotiated the deal where the original dude that earned 50%, um, then like we, he went down a little bit to create more space for others and, you know, something I've found with these deals is sometimes the percentages can change over time and you just kind of agree with your partners, like how to maneuver that. But yeah, that's how I got started is doing an audit for him and then doing this deal. That was awesome. That was, that was super informative, man. It got my head thinking. That is one of the most creative deal structures that I've heard in a long time. Brilliant. Like I could totally see myself using that one day. So thank you for sharing that. Um, so let's, you know, one of the things I want to talk a lot about because it's unique with you is that you've sold an information business to a private equity firm. And I find that really intriguing. And I want to talk more about that later. But but first, I guess, walk, what what do you sell? Like at roping or at the eventing? Like, what's your product? Are they all membership sites? Are they high ticket, low ticket? Or how are you selling? Like, I guess, walk me, I'm a visual person. So walk me through the visual of like, we run an ad and then the ad goes to an opt-in page, an opt-in page, and then we sell this. And then, you know, and then I'll ask some questions in between that, but yeah, go for it. Sure. Well, the first thing I'll mention is that it's been a little bit different between the three businesses and also some, some strategy and business model has like perspectives have evolved. So I can give a bit of a synopsis of like where it started and where it's at now. So roping.com essentially is just a $30 per month membership site. There's like over a thousand videos there, multiple instructors. It's $30 a month or $240 a year. I assume it's still like that. It's been about a year since we've sold. From time to time, I go to the site and see kind of what they're doing. I believe it's still like that. Um, and that was essentially our main offer the whole time we did roping.com. It's just, there's a monthly option. There's an annual option where they save a little bit. And it was just about getting members into that. Eventingtraining.com was similar. Um, I believe the pricing was the same. And since we sold it, they've actually kind of merged it with another site that they had in a slightly larger niche. Because event, just like roping is a subset of rodeo, eventing is a subset of a broader niche. I think it's like Eastern horse riding or something like that. And they, they've merged that now. So if you actually go to eventingtraining.com, it, it redirects to a new membership. But those were essentially memberships. And kind of the model there was that 
each month we would usually have like a significant new product and like new content for the site that was like maybe like a 50 minute like dvd because believe it or not in the roping industry these um these guys still buy dvds and they like that's the language that resonates with them so in marketing it's all webinars and you know workshops online courses masterminds etc in the roping niche it was all about dvds and and we literally sold thousands of physical dvds even up until you know, 2019, 2020, we were selling physical DVDs. So often what we did was it was like, you can get this DVD for like $40 or you can pay $30 a month to get access to the digital version of this DVD and all of these other DVDs, all these other thousands of videos from all these guys. So that kept our marketing fresh. It was like, we're not just always saying membership, membership, membership. It was, it was kind of like front-end offer, but it was kind of like a front-end kind of um, like more of like a, this is what's new and you can buy it on its own if you want, or you can get access to this and all the other things you've seen us market for the last few years in this membership. And then that price anchoring as well is it's like, you get this one thing for 40 or you pay 30 a month and you get access to all these things. And that's kind of similar. And that was modeled off like how Audible um amazon's you know audiobook company they'll be like you can get this one book for like 30 dollars, or you can pay 15 dollars a month and get like one book every single month kind of thing so i kind of modeled that off that and that worked pretty well now with the farming site we have a membership and that's where it all started as well that's 20 dollars a month as of now or i think 180 per year and again, multiple content contributors. And that was like our main offer for a very long time. But then we also had a specific course, which we were selling for first a thousand dollars, then we did 500. And, um, and we actually made a lot of money with that course because it was like $500, right? So it was all bang, like $500 at once, or originally it was a thousand at once. Whereas that $20 a month takes time to like add up. So then when we realized that the course was going well, essentially our new model with freedomfarmers.com is that we have our membership and then we essentially try to launch a new course every single month. That's like a more premium in-depth course. And then our best customers are usually our membership site members, but then we also just have our email list that, you know, we're promoting a new course to every single month. And that's essentially our model now. It's like, we try and build our recurring revenue with our membership site. And that kind of goes pretty, that covers a lot of like, a lot of different topics and in pretty solid detail. And it's really valuable. There's again, like a couple thousand videos there, different instructors and everything. But then the courses are like, if you want to go deep, like really deep into a very specific topic, we have a more premium course on that. And at this point, we don't do anything high ticket. And, and the whole time I've done this, nothing high ticket, no phone sales, pretty much everything is just like a sales page or a sales video. And we've done some webinars like live and pre-recorded, but no phone sales this whole time. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, okay, so basically what I'm hearing is where you were and where you are today, I wanna re rephrase it. So where you were, membership site, focus on the 30 bucks a month type, get as many members as you can. But then what you would do is 
uh, every month you would kind of do a new topic, new campaign, which would re-inspire people to join your monthly membership. And on the back end of the monthly membership, you had a $500 course that you were selling. And that's really, that's what it was. You had two products um, and you had that rhythm going. Did I get that right? And then I'll, I'll summarize where I think you are today, what you said, but did I get the past right? Okay, yeah. great. And then today where you are is you've just added one extra element to it, I think, is you've got the membership. And do you still have that one course, that $500 to $1,000 course that you just sell all the time? Or did you change that up now and you're like, no, we just sell a new one every month? So yeah, we, we have like a library of courses now. So we essentially, that first course was our first course. And it's still available. We It actually okay. went through a few iterations and we made it better and whatnot. But essentially that's still available. And then every month we're launching a new course. And then one other thing that I'll add in here is that um, one thing we introduced lately is that when anyone buys one of the courses, the upsell is uh, lifetime access to all of our other courses and all future courses that we release. And we let them know like, our vision is to like, we already have X amount of courses. Our vision is to launch a new course every single month. And right now, if you pay X amount, you will have access to all current and future courses. And that like early on, we, we actually did that even when we launched our second course. We were like, you're essentially going to get access to this other course and all future courses. And it was, you know, it was our highest priced offer this lifetime access. But at the time it was kind of like, we we're selling a vision, but it got our average order value higher because like there was no, essentially there was no added cost to selling, you know, a future promise of future courses. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. So, so, okay. So that, that makes a lot of sense because I've run that model at Learn before too. And I can tell you that it is actually very profitable to launch a new course every month. It's a little bit stressful. Um, and it, it's a lot of work, but it's also very profitable. So let's talk about the marketing then, right? I mean, you're in very specific niches, so it's not like mass market. It's not like there's a boatload of market traffic out there. Um, what I have found, and I'm hoping you can tell me I'm wrong, but what I have found is buying traffic from paid media and taking them to a $30 a month um, membership site, you're going to bleed on that campaign. It's It's very hard to make money unless you've got some creative upsells or whatever, but I guess, yeah, talk to me about your marketing model, how you got people into the membership site or into your ecosystem. Sure. So one thing I'll say is that just transparently, it didn't work too well for the farming site. And that's why we kind of went down the course. That is what created the thought process of doing the courses at higher prices and running ads to them, like via webinars, for example. So with the farming sites, like we'll add run, we'll run ads to a webinar to sell, you know, $500 course or around that price range. And there's enough, there's enough average order value there to cover the ad spend. But then if, you know, if we have one or 2% of our email leads buying the course within the first, you know, seven days or whatever, clicking from on the ad, we're essentially building a list of prospects and then, and then we market to them over time and whatnot. So that's kind of what we do now. And then we just kind of like in our email marketing, we will, or our retargeting, 
we will then promote the membership site. So our current model is more like we promote the courses and then the membership site is kind of like a downsell. Um, yeah. And also originally it was a solid base. Like we, we have a YouTube channel with about a little over half a million subs and our original partner like launched the membership site to the subscribers and that was like how it started. And because we have a base there, and there's a lot of cool stuff happening in our membership site. When someone's nurtured on our email list, like we, we then offer it from time to time. And, and we've done lifetime versions of it. Sometimes we do a trial and things like that. But essentially our email list get funneled into that. Um, and we haven't quite cracked the code on paid traffic directly to it. And I don't know if we ever will, to be honest. I think it's just more effective to promote the higher price courses and generate leads through like a webinar funnel and then promote to the leads. But with roping, what, what I can say with roping is when we started like seven years ago or six or whatever it was, it was a while ago, the paid traffic was a little cheaper. It was a completely underserved, like underserved niche. Like they hadn't seen a single ad for anything, right? And we were getting some insane CPAs just straight to a sales page, like promoting a membership. Or, or like the, let's say the DVDs, like we used to do, like, you know, we would sell the DVD and then we would upsell like a 30 day trial of the membership or something like that. And then we might upsell like a, you know, if you pay for the year up front, you'll get 50% off or we, we, we tested a bunch of things, but I think an interesting takeaway was like back then when the paid traffic was cheaper and it was, I think it, it wasn't just the paid traffic being cheaper. It was also the fact that this, this niche hasn't seen any offers to cater to them that our conversions were crazy and we were we were just we were profitable on day one like we were we were our ads our our sales were financing our ad spend like we started the company with no money like me and my partners didn't put any money in just like it's just like a credit card and and we went from scratch and we built it all the way up to to an exit without putting any money in at any point because it was such an underserved niche niche. And I think that that's a good takeaway for people is it's like, and I've met a few people as well, just like over the years that are in these niches, even now that the paid traffic's more expensive, some of these niches are so underserved that if you're so specific in providing a solution for them, you can be profitable on day one. Like it's a limiting belief to think that you can't with your ads. Um, like there just sometimes it's a bit more difficult if you're in a more competitive space and like sometimes you can't get it to work, but it's possible, especially in these underserved niches still today. <laughs> All right. So I have so many questions. I want to rapid fire a few of them. How long do your people typically stay in your membership site? So I'm going to answer this in a roundabout way where I know that our LTV is about five times our AOV. Okay. I don't really know how long they stay. Like, cause like, that's not what was, when I went through all the data, when we sold the two businesses, I didn't even know how to figure that out. Like I didn't know any software that could reliably tell me that I tried crunching numbers in Excel. I couldn't really figure it out. What I could figure out was how much have they spent over the lifetime? How much did they spend on day one? And to give you like a, a bit of a, you know, 
like I got to be careful because like we signed an NDA, but I'll, sure. I'll explain it in a more of a metaphorical way. You got a site that's $50 a month or $500 a year. Let's actually do it like this. Imagine 80% pay monthly and 20% pay yearly. 80% of 50 is 40, 20% of 500 is 100. So you got 40 and 100. So your AOV would be 140 if you had the monthly and yearly. So if your AOV is 140 and that's your situation, if like, let's just put it this way, like what I've seen that just based on what I've done and the businesses I've consulted and things like that, if you can, if your lifetime value can be five times your AOV, you're usually going to like be pretty, pretty sweet. Um, it's not amazing. Like some software companies, their LTV would be 10, 15, 20 times their AOV, right? And that's one of the reasons they get higher multiples when they sell. But I've found that like, if you can go five times your AOV with your LTV, that means if your CPA, if you're breaking even, like if you're spending 140 in that situation to acquire a customer, you're crushing it. Um, but you might be spending 200 or, or 250 or whatever. So you might spend like one and a half or two times your AOV. But then if your LTV is five times your AOV in the long run, you, it's going to kind of work out. So that's what I would say on the membership side of things. But now it's also a bit different because now we're, we're leading with the courses and it might be like a $500 AOV. And then we're essentially just funneling our customers and our leads into the membership and you know and honestly i'm not i used to be like my consulting thing used to be called metric driven marketer and i was all about the numbers i was all about what's the ov what's the cpa what's the ltv now i'm a bit more chill about it and i'm like let's just like be profitable like acquire customers profitable let's build the list let's funnel our leads and our organic traffic into the membership and let's just kind of like be a bit more relaxed and not be so like you know, obsessed with the numbers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, but still, I mean, your numbers are so good that you had the margin to be able to do that, which is amazing. Okay. So I, I don't want to violate the NDA at all. So maybe you can answer this question generally or whatever, but I'm very curious because you play in such niches at any given time. So at one, any given time, what was the maximum number of members that you had paying you in any of the businesses, niche businesses that you've had a membership site in? Yeah. So I'll say right now, like our, the biggest, like the biggest site is the current one uh, in the farming niche. Um, and we, I think we have about 5,000 members and, and some of them are lifetime as well. So we don't necessarily have 5,000 that are on like the monthly or yearly. But one thing is, but one thing I would recommend or something I've noticed is that um, the, and this is kind of changing my perspective a little bit and, and I'm not fully sure where I've landed on it, but I'm pretty sure when we sell lifetime deals that we get a higher LTV than when we, um, like compared to someone sticking on monthly or yearly, yeah. which then it's kind of like, well, sh shouldn't we just, just sell lifetime deals then? Like, <laughs> You know what I mean? It's kind of confusing, yeah. but I think that just a mixture of both, like there may be some people that will pay monthly for five, 10 months that would never fork out the money for the lifetime deal upfront. So I think, I think actually a, a mix of all is important, yeah. but yeah. So like we have about 5,000 members right now. Um, I hope that if my partners listen to this, they're okay with me disclosing that. 
Um, well, I'll tell you what, you're, yeah, feel free to ask them. Um, and if for some reason uh, they're not, let us know. We'll delete it out of the editing. So this, it'll be like this never happened. Um, so how big do you think the total market is? Like when you say farmers, I mean, are you targeting all farmers? You're targeting a particular. I'm trying to understand like, because next thing we're going to move into is me asking you about these obscure niches. And how do you know like when you met this guy, like how did you know like, Oh, farmers. Yeah. That niche, I can build a multi-million dollar business in that niche. So are you guys just target? If they're a farmer, like when you go to Facebook, do you just like type in farmers and is it like 3 million person audience or half a million person audience? Like what, what, give me some metrics. Sure. So first of all, we target small scale farmers, which is like a sub niche within farming. Okay. And, um, and that could be is like, that could be as simple as someone that wants to grow their own like tomatoes like in their garden or something like that oh, and so that's okay. that's like the more cold traffic appeal that we have okay. so the courses that have the biggest like appeal like the largest market are those like you know how to grow microgreens in your like spare bedroom or in like your kitchen or whatever those kind of things we have a broader market on and then we have some like content and some courses that we really created or that we have in our pipeline to create that are more specific to like, you know, if you're a legit farmer and it's like how to like, or like, for example, we got like three hours of content on our membership site, like a three-part series, which is like all about uh, greenhouses. And it's like having a greenhouse is like someone's actually kind of growing a substantial, a more substantial amount than just like some microgreens or tomatoes or whatever. So it varies depending on what, like where people come in. Um, but yeah, small scale farmers, these are often people that um, are selling at farmer's markets and things like that, or maybe they're just growing for themselves. It's very different to like probably 90% of like farming is like large scale farming. So we've kind of gone deeper um, and more narrow. And in terms of the ad side of things, like for example, we got 500, or we got over 500,000 YouTube subscribers. So we'll like run ads to our subscribers or run ads to, you know, the handful of million people that have watched one of our videos in the last, you know, year and a half or whatever. So like, for example, one of our remarketing lists is like last 540 days who has watched one of our YouTube videos. And our channel is very specific to small scale farming stuff. So we might have one and a half million or a million, two million, something like that, that have watched a video of ours in the last 540 days. So that's a solid audience on the YouTube side of things. And then on Facebook, like I don't run the ads. I, I haven't for like, quite some time one of one of our new partners that we brought on which is actually my younger brother <laughs> is the guy running the ads and um he would know better than me um i actually live with him so i could wake him up and be like because it's really early here <laughs> bro how big are the audience sizes <laughs> no i won't do that but i i imagine there are some audience sizes that you know five hundred thousand, a million and and we probably put in things like permaculture or like um garden like like there's probably some things there and he probably tests a bunch of them but at this point because we've spent like we've spent a decent amount on ads that a lot of it is retargeting audiences lookalikes and whatnot and you know if you do like a one percent lookalike audience it would be a little over two million people and 
I'm yeah. pretty sure that's how it breaks down. So here's a question you may or may not know an answer to because it's moving into the knit stuff. And then I'm going to move into the private equity side because that's it's a really intriguing aspect of your your experience. Um, is there like is there a website or is there a place I can go because where these kinds of obscure niches I could see like businesses like this like do you have an idea like is like oh yeah go to this website and you'll see all the niches and you'd know like okay an information business would work in in these in these niches because like you've had some really cool ones and I think the more specific a niche gets usually the more powerful it is but my fear always with getting too specific is it gets too small but so any any thoughts like where would where would people go who are listening to find some totally so one just like lesson or thing to be aware of is that niches pretty much always exist in a more macro niche or a broader market. So everyone here is probably familiar with the marketing niche to some extent. It's like marketing is the broad niche. And if you even went broader, it's like business. So it's like business, then you go marketing, then you got copywriting, Facebook ads, you know, offer creation, there's all these sub niches within marketing and marketing even is a subset within business. So like business, it could go rather than marketing, it could go sales. And then within sales, it could be like communication, building rapport, closing. So you can decide how niche you want to go. I do recommend, like I've seen the power in starting pretty, pretty like specific. And you, I believe you can, if like later there is the possibility of going more broad, and there's probably some smart strategy you would have to execute there. But where, where I recommend people can, can start, for example, if you go to Amazon and you go to their like book section, like to buy a you know, Kindle book or just whatever physical book, they have it all laid out there, business, spirituality, health, et cetera. And then you click on it. It doesn't stop there. It goes deeper. If you click on business, it'll be like leadership marketing, sales, et cetera. And then if you click on them, some of them go even deeper. So, but I wouldn't stop there though. Cause you could go to like, like roping wouldn't be listed on Amazon, for example, but there, there may be something to do with horses or, or rodeo or something. I don't know how specific they get, but surely horses would be somewhere, a category somewhere. And then I think that you know, you could just, if you were a marketer and you had no idea, you could just kind of do some research. And like one thing that we did with, uh, when we were in the roping and eventing space is I literally typed into Google. Like I literally typed in like horse sports or something like that. And then I literally went to the Wikipedia page and I saw all of these different, like there was heaps of horse sports. There was like, um, or, or let's say roping was in rodeo and I was like, I typed in rodeo sports and then I found out that there was like, there was like six main rodeo sports and then there were a bunch of kind of like more random, less adopted rodeo sports. And for example, one of the things that I did was um, we essentially started buying domains, like like the one word or like the two word domains for those niches and then you know, uh, one of the things that we sold to private equity along with roping and eventing was a whole bunch of domains, uh, because we had, we'd bought all these like epic domains that like for these sub niches and things like that. And they've gone on to build out some of these sites in the last year 
Um, so that was like a bit of a, like a story of like what I did to discover some other niches related. And, you know, let's say someone's interested in, um, like health, there's all kinds of just different things. And maybe you just have something that you're interested in yourself, or maybe you've met someone that is like into some like kind of obscure niche and yeah, you can, you can research, you can chat to people, you can use your own self-awareness as, as many ways to kind of like find these different niches. Yeah. Very, very, very interesting. Um, do you have a particular niche size you look for? So if I came to you today, um, so I'll tell you, I have a condition called Crohn's disease and I've always thought about creating a community around that. Um, because if nothing else, it would be great for me. And then there's all this great information all the time. People could share it, you know, all this cool stuff. Um, so if I, let's say I came to you today and I'm like, hey, I want to start a membership website about Crohn's disease. I want you to partner with me. You're for a minute assumed don't nothing about it. What would you do to confirm that? Yes, indeed, this is a good niche that we can do some damage in. Yeah. So some of the things I'd look at is like, what, because there's usually a YouTube channel or actually there's usually quite a few YouTube channels specific, specific to a niche. So I would be looking on YouTube and I would be seeing how many subscribers do some of these bigger channels have. I'd be looking on Facebook groups to see how many, like the biggest Facebook groups in that niche, how many people are in it. And how many would impress you? Yeah. Like on a Facebook group, like how many would impress you? So some, like a nuance I want to mention is that when I got started, I was like, I was cool with a smaller market. Now that I recognize that I can take my same skill sets and get more leverage just by the one variable of a bigger market, I'm currently more interested in bigger markets. So for example, eventing is bigger than roping, small scale farming is bigger than eventing and other kind of projects I'm looking at starting are typically bigger than small scale farming because I want to just get more leverage by having a larger market. Um, but I actually recommend starting out. Like, I think you can, I think you can get results easier in a smaller market, but then there's a cap. So if someone's earlier in their journey and they want to have less competition and they want to just have higher conversion rates and things like that, I recommend a smaller market. So just for example, when like, I can share this because it's just like public information. It's not like crossing my NDA or anything, but there are some roping Facebook groups with like 50,000 people in them or like 70,000. And I was thinking, okay, so surely not every single person in the market is in this group. Like this is a subset of the niche, but there's yeah. 50,000 people there. That's not a lot. 50,000 isn't a lot, but that tells me like, okay, well, surely the niche size is like, it's got to be a few hundred thousand people. It's got to be, there's got to be at least a couple hundred thousand because there's no way that like, like surely no more than like 25% of the market is in one Facebook group. Does that make sense? That and or with YouTube, sense. if I see a channel that's like, like let's say roping or let's say rodeo, there's a rodeo YouTube channel that has like a few hundred thousand subscribers. It's like, okay, there's a few hundred thousand people subscribed to a channel about rodeo. There's a group of people out there in the world in a different yeah. like reality to me in some ways, in the sense that like different location, like a, a lot of these um, rodeo enthusiasts are in like the Southern side of the US. I'm from Australia, you know what I mean? So it's like a yeah. different, 
reality that I hadn't, hadn't been exposed to. But one thing I actually want to share, because I think it's funny, is that because you asked at the start, like, am I passionate about these niches and things like that? Um, and the answer was essentially like, I'm a marketer and I, I found these opportunities. Now I'm wise enough to recognize that I actually think that the more passionate you are about what you do, the better, because there's like a lot of benefit to that from just like a personal fulfillment standpoint. And you have certain insights and things like that. So I, I wouldn't recommend that people necessarily follow my path. I, I think there's a lot of lessons there, but with niche selection, I actually think that you're better off doing something that you do have some familiarity with that you are passionate about because then you're actually going to care about what you're doing yeah. and, and you're going to just access a lot more power through that. With that said though, I will say that I, I'd never roped before and I literally went to Texas and I, I had a private, um, at a private two day workshop with a seven time world champion. <laughs> Oh, nice. And I literally was riding his like competition horse that like goes a million miles an hour that he competes on. And I didn't even, I barely knew how to ride a horse and all kinds of, I got crazy stories like that. And, and those were fun experiences that came from like being involved in a niche that I had no, I, you know, under previous understanding about. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's awesome. Well, this has been superb like i i i'll give a tip to someone who's listening magazines.com is something i heard a long time ago when i was listening to someone talk about can you build a membership website around a topic and they were like well go check out magazines.com and if you, if there's a niche with more than three magazines uh you could probably build a membership website around it i don't know whoever told me this and it was like but it stuck with me this is from like 15 years ago and um it, it's actually true because there's some magazine niches there's only one or two magazines in it it's like that, that wouldn't qualify um but then there's other ones where there's like seven it's like ah, that's probably a reason that niche can support seven magazines in it um so let's I, i've got a bunch of questions by the way this has been awesome man thank you so much ricky like you have been super forthcoming and you've talked about you know, your traffic angles, how, how, what, you know, your funnels look like the niches, how you pick them. Um, do you, you've mentioned YouTube ads quite a few times. Do you do anything with Facebook ads? Like what are your top traffic sources, your top three or top four traffic sources? And then I'll move on to the last yeah, part. So top is definitely email marketing. So over just the, let's say with the farming site, we started, we got involved two and a half years ago. The guy had the, our first partner, like our, uh, that's that founded the company he'd been at it for a while and just organic stuff but essentially along the years we've built the email list to a kind of somewhat substantial size and we're consistently nurturing it and doing promos and things like that so email is definitely number one we've got youtube organic which is we get a lot of exposure there we we don't send too much traffic from youtube organic to like our offers just because only a small percentage click on the the links and things like that. But um, I think our biggest traffic source, like to our actual sales pages and webinars and things like that would be email. Actually, we probably make the most money from email. I don't know if it's our biggest traffic source, but yeah, YouTube ads and Facebook ads. Um, and I, I actually think we spend more on Facebook Um I'm actually quite disconnected from the business now. I About six months ago, I took my shares and I gave a third to my younger brother and a third to another partner. And now essentially I advise, like I do a monthly call with them and they run the business. So I'm like very disconnected. So 
I'll do my best to answer questions like this, but I, I know we spend more on Facebook than YouTube. And, um, and I think that we get about similar results. But one thing I'll mention though is our huge, a lot of our YouTube targeting is like pretty warm. It's like, it's, um, you know, like I said, subscribers of the channel, people that have viewed the channel, but still Facebook seems to, to even with like coldish traffic and things like that, seems to, you know, do quite well as well. So do you take them and you're taking today for, for, um, freedom farmers, you're taking them to a webinar registration page. That's how you're actually building your email list is mostly through acquisition traffic going to a webinar registration page. Yeah, correct. Got it. Okay. Awesome. Um, last question, man. Tell me the story about how you guys sold an information business to a, a private equity company. How did that whole thing come about? What made them interested? Cause I found it interesting, right? So I have been a part as a silent partner, but a, a substantial partner of a, of an exit, a couple, one specifically where, the acquiring company was super obsessed with the rebuild revenue and they wanted to understand attrition. And, and it seems like that wasn't important in your case because you didn't even necessarily know the number, right? It's like, well, I don't know how long people average people stay. So how did that come about? So you guys have these two sites, you're making millions of dollars. How, tell me the story of how you then got it sold to a private equity company. Yes, yeah, sir. Um, so these, so the company that bought roping.com and eventingtraining.com, they actually wanted to launch membership sites on these niches. Cause you mentioned magazines, the company that bought us owned like the leading magazine in the roping industry. And they actually were very strategic. It was like a strategic buyer. So they, um, they also the same like fund or like, I don't really know how all this stuff works. I'm, I'm still like seeing like how this world outside this little niche of internet marketing, you know, how that works, but they, they own a magazine. They also own like some of the big event companies in the roping space, like the two big ones. So for example, people may be familiar with like UFC, like they own the like UFC equivalents for roping, but there's actually two of them and they own both of them. So this, this company is kind of like monopolizing the roping industry and where they, and the three things they specialize in are events, magazines, and, um, like online education. So they didn't have the, um, the membership side of things for, for roping or eventing. And we did. And so even though, you know, we were, we had profitable businesses and they were like, you know, by our standards, like, yeah, this is cool. This is kind of impressive. They weren't mega. Im I don't think that they were mega impressed by like our numbers and our financials, but some things that they were impressed by was that for, and this is public. So I'm happy to share it. Like roping has like a couple thousand, maybe two, 3000 videos. And a lot of the videos are with like seven time world champions, three time world champions, and, and with some of them, we have exclusive contracts where they can only create content for the business. Wow. So like that was the moat. And then with eventing, we had, I think, 550 videos or something like that. And we had 40 different instructors. Some of them were like gold medalist Olympians and things like that. So 
it was like, from their standpoint, it's like, it would take us so much time. It, like it would take us like a lot of money, but that we kind of got deep pockets. So that's not an issue, but it would take us so much time to rebuild what these guys have built. You know what I mean? And some of, we, in some cases, we couldn't even build what they've built because they've got some of the best instructors in the world that they have on exclusive contracts that like we can't even get them to create content. And so it was things like that. Plus like we had roping.com, like we had the, the best domain in the industry. Um, and then eventing training that was other than eventing.com, which, you know, we tried to get, but no one answered, even though we like were willing to pay. Like it was just one of those mysteries, like maybe some random person owns that domain and they, who knows anyway. So we had good domains. We had, exclusives with some of the best guys and and we had a nice business we had all the tech stacks set up we had a lot of the marketing systems and one thing as well which this is surprising that like it was interesting because we early in the negotiations i because what happened what, one little tip i'll give people if they ever sell like any business but particularly this type of business is early on what I kind of unconsciously did and my partners as well in our like early stage conversations is we kind of said a lot of stuff. Like we threw a lot of things against the wall that we thought they might find interesting. And then just based on their reactions, we noticed that there were some things that they were particularly interested in and some things they couldn't care less about. And then when we picked up on things that they were like particularly interested in, then in all of our future conversations, we like talked about the benefit of those things. And I'll give an example. So one thing that was key to our success, and this is true, but it just, we then kind of were able to use it to like, you know, negotiate and whatnot. Um, one thing that was key, and this is probably the biggest, like literally the biggest lesson I have, um, like entering any niche, is we had a lot of proprietary information in the form of like survey answers from our niche. So we had thousands of responses to survey answers, which gave us all this key insight on how to optimize our copy, how to like what topics to create um, content on. And then like, let's say we're gonna create a course. It's like, okay, we're gonna create a, create a course on this topic. Um, but then we like the whole, like, what do you call it? Um, syllabus or the whole whatever you call it the whole outline of the course like wrote itself because we had so much information from our market about you know and that's what we do that's our key strategy that's what everything pins on is it's like we get all of this insight just directly from like our email list for example and then we just unpack it and so for example when i when we we're selling roping.com i was like yeah we have like thousands of survey answers and all together it literally adds up to like 120,000 words it's like two two novels and i was like i've read these two novels multiple times and this is like the secret source to you know everything and essentially i kind of like i kind of like made it like with this information like you don't even have to be the greatest marketer in the world whatever you just need to know how to like unpack all of this and it's kind of like i don't know who said it but someone said that great copy is assembled like it's not written it's assembled and i really believe that and and how have i been able to write these like successful 
campaigns and these random niches that I know nothing about. It's because I literally just take all of the survey information and I essentially just like assemble it in a structure, like a copywriting structure. And um, so anyway, that was something interesting is like when I mentioned that, they were like, that sounds super interesting. And and then I just went down the rabbit hole of like, yeah, like you you could have any marketer, just any free freelance marketer take over your marketing with this resource. And kind of like without this, you know, they would be throwing just things against the wall and seeing what sticks, but we literally know what works. And that was one of those random things that they, they caught onto. So interesting oh. lesson in that. So, so they reached out to you. Did you guys go out and find them or did they reach out to you actively that we want to? So, um, at one point they, so because it's like a big, business and they got all these different like advisors and brokers and all these things uh at one point they reached out to us about eventing like in the like what happened was we acquired eventing um or i'm pretty sure we were even in the negotiations of of buying eventing like it wasn't even done yet because we acquired an existing site and then we rebuilt it so in the early stages of negotiating that deal with the the buyers these guys reached out so, and they wanted eventing and roping was a lot more of a substantial business. And then the guy we're buying eventing from was like, Hey, these guys reached out and we knew who they were. Cause from day one, we thought the most likely acquirer is this company. And then we're trying to, we were like with roping.com, we had the strategy of selling to these guys. And then we start negotiating to buy eventing. And then they reach out to eventing and we're like, this is interesting. And anyway, we like the guys we bought eventing from were very nice to just be transparent with us and and you know uh frankly like if they did a deal with the other guys back then they probably would have made more than what we paid them but they liked our vision and we we really kind of like did something positive with it and then we essentially sold on sold it again but so originally we got that hook in in that weird way and then when that came in uh one of my partners was like yeah, we actually have this other site, which is seems more aligned strategically for you guys. And it's more a more substantial business. And that was like our initial way in. And then it didn't happen straight away. It, that like a, It was like a couple years later or like a, a year, 18 months, something like that later. My partner just kept staying in touch with this dude. He literally like messaged him every week. <laughs> and then, and then it's, and then he like, this guy was like a broker or something. And like, or like some consultant to try and find deals for the, the fund or whatever. And as then at some point we got hooked onto someone else and the conversation started and um, it, it all kind of happened organically, or at least for me, because I wasn't really involved in how that happened. Then when they were actually interested, I was on the calls and I was like essentially selling them on like the vision of what we've created and why it's a good fit for them. And, but I just, I just kind of one day showed up on a call with the right people and my partners had done all the background work to like get that call, you know, happening. Awesome. Do you see a similar future for Freedom Farmers? Is that kind of your goal? Like for all the other possible niche businesses you'll set up, build it, get it to a point, sell it? Yeah, that's definitely, you know, um, a option that we're all very open to, like me and my partners. And one thing that 
we, we all recognize though, is that we have a certain vision of like how far we can take it. It's like, mm. we, it's like, we know that we can get it to, you know, a certain point. And you probably know this better than, than me, Anik, and bet and probably better than most people, which is that there are different, at different stages of business, there are different skills and things that are like required. So I feel like me and my team with the farming site, there's a certain level of like annual revenue that we probably have the skill sets to like take it to. And then that whole like operationalizing a business and like um, just doing this stuff to go from like a few million dollars a year to like 50, 100, whatever million dollars a year. There are skill sets there that none of us really have experience with. And I think that we have it in us to like figure it out. But I'm the kind of person, and I think that my team is aligned in it, that like we know what we enjoy. And I think that we would all enjoy getting it to a certain point. And then I think that for it to grow and to like serve more people and for everyone to win, our customers, us, future buyer, whatever, I think it just makes sense uh, to, to then, you know, to let a bigger business with deeper pockets that can do more creative things to add more value to the, you know, to the customers and everything to then take it over. And then, you know, all of us as entrepreneurs get that, that kind of like entrepreneurial victory of like having an exit. So I think that that's, that's probably what the future holds, but none of it. The good thing is none of us are attached to it. Like we're all happy with how the business runs. We like what we do. We have fun. We, we make good money and we add a lot of value. So it's kind of like, we're not, we don't need to sell it. We could keep running it for, you know, many years. And then if that opportunity presents itself and it feels good. Yeah. I think we would entertain it. That's awesome, man. Uh, it's been an amazing, amazing episode. Thank you so much for sharing so openly and opening the eyes of our listeners that, hey, if you're building an information business, you can absolutely sell it. All right. So listen, if you're watching this and you're listening and you're like, man, I really want to build an information business, head on over to LearnExpert, L-U-R-N-E-X-P-E-R-T.com. We've got an amazing community. We have a free course, we have a newsletter, and we actually have an active Facebook group where we help and coach and guide. It's all free. Come join us. Let's get a business plan built for what your information business could look like, whether it's a low ticket, high ticket, mid ticket, coaching, consulting. We'll figure that out together and we won't charge you a dime to help you do that. So learnexpert.com and of course, onicpodcast.com to binge listen to all of our killer episodes like this one. A-N-I-K-Podcast.com. Hey, Ricky, if people want to learn more from you, follow you, stalk you, see what you're up to, is there a place that they can go? I don't know, maybe some social media where you post fun stuff or not really? I know you said freedomfarmers.com right now, but what about you personally? Thanks for the invitation, Anik. Yeah, if someone wants to get connected with me, Instagram would be best. It's I am Ricky Fleur. I am Ricky Fleur. It's R-I-C-K-Y. F-L-O-W. I am Ricky Flo. And uh, yeah, if anyone watched the episode and they just want to like reach out and kind of ask a question or whatever, I'm definitely open to supporting. So hit me up on Instagram and we can go from there. That's awesome, man. It's been seriously an amazing episode to all of you listening. Again, hit them up on Instagram, freedomfarmers.com if you want to get a chance to look behind the scenes and see what they're doing. And of course, I'll repeat it again, learn, L-U-R-N, expert.com to go join our community. And of course, onicpodcast.com to binge listen to all of our episodes. See me on YouTube as well. And if you're on any other platform, make sure you hit subscribe, 
leave us a great review. I'm trying to climb up that ranking and I'm looking at you to help me get, get there, okay? So thanks for all you do for the fighting entrepreneur. Get the message out. One more time, Ricky, thank you. And to the rest of you, when life pushes you, stand straight, smile, and push it the heck back. This is Onyx Agal signing off. See you in the next one. Thanks for listening to The Fighting Entrepreneur with your host, Onyx Singal.